1: Welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares, a legal technology trainer and consultant. I help lawyers and law firms use technology better. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to make sure and thank our sponsors. Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at nexa.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Clio, cloud based practice management software, who are having their annual Clio Cloud Conference in San Diego on October 21st and 22nd. Hey, I'll be there. Also, check out their new podcast, Matters Now, on Legal Talk Network or your favorite podcasting app. Want to make sure and thank Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. They have a rebate for us listeners, it's new solo 300 for a $300 rebate after your first project. Make sure and use it. Courtfiling.net. E-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. If you file in Los Angeles Superior Court, you know that e-filing has recently become mandatory, and courtfiling.net is there to help. Okay, Marco, now that we've paid those bills, are you there? Yep, yeah, I'm here. Oh, great. It's so nice to have you on New Solo. Thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, thank you very much for having me.
1: I'm always happy to have real, actual practicing lawyers on, which you are, right?
2: I am an actual practicing lawyer,
1: yes. (laughs) I'm kidding. I have a lot of those. Uh, What kind of law do you practice? What do you do? Where are you? Tell us everything.
2: Sure. I'm a divorce attorney. We only do divorce. We don't do car accident cases, no real estate cases, nothing. And we're in Salt Lake City, Utah.
1: Awesome. Salt Lake City, one of the, the home of one of my other favorite legal technology products on the planet, Net Documents. That's right. I, I'll have to give you a call when I'm out there for their conference. So, you're a divorce lawyer, but you love helping lawyers figure out how to get paid.
2: I do because it's such a rampant problem. It is. <laughs> that, it, I mean, it amazes me. When I actually looked at the statistics, I always knew it was bad, but when I looked at the statistics, I realized how bad it was. And I thought, okay. What can I do to try to help my friends who were really a lot of these people to live a better life and get paid more and decrease their stress? So I started putting together a CLE on the matter.
1: Oh, that's great. And um, I have a little bit of cheat sheet in front of me, of course, but I could act surprised and say, it sounds to me like some of those statistics you may have gotten is probably the same place where many of us had gotten actual real life statistics that we didn't really have access to before Cleo started publishing its legal trends report.
2: Exactly. The the trends report has been fantastic. I think mm-hmm. I started reading it in 15 or 16 and it really clarified this issue for me.
1: So, tell us some of those statistics. Act like a statistician for a minute and rattle them off so that our listeners understand what we're going to be talking about and ways that they can increase these. Oh, wait, let's see. Are we looking to increase or decrease some of these numbers?
2: Well, we're looking to increase the amount you get paid, and we're looking to decrease the amount of hours yeah. you work.
1: Okay, good. So what are some of these mind-boggling statistics that come out of and, – and for listeners, let me let me back up just a sec – For listeners who don't know about the Clio Legal Trends Report, you can Google it and download it for free. They might ask you for an email address, so make sure you use, you know, not your real email address, but your alternate email address, because, you know, I'm always trying to get everyone to reduce their email hell that we're all in. But Clio has been anonymizing their customer data. Don't panic. If you're a Clio user, you can opt out. But they do it in a really private and secure way, but they anonymize all the data of their users, and they study... Trending and changing rates for different practice areas in different states. They log actualization rates for. Uh, bills and invoices and have a lot of really other amazing and interesting information, which really there's no other report like it. So if what Marco is about to tell us sounds interesting to you and you want to learn more, just go download the report yourself and open your own eyes to see the reality of what it's like to practice law in most law firms, and then hopefully take some of this advice to heart and increase the right numbers and decrease the right numbers.
2: Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to give some from the Trends Report and then some from Legal Zoom okay, as good. well. Yeah. So this Trends Report is actually great because it does give us a huge amount of data. They've aggregated all sorts of data for American attorneys, uh, Canadian attorneys, even European attorneys, but we're talking about American attorneys right here. So in the 2016 Trends Report, the average attorney worked eight hours a day. The realization rate, which is the number of hours in the office to the hours billed, is about 28% for small mm-hmm. firms and about 22% for solos. So,
1: so sad.
2: Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's the, dismal. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely terrible. So the overall average collected for an attorney, a solo attorney is 1.4 hours out of an eight-hour work day.
1: Okay, so let's just make sure we're hearing you clearly and understand. Average lawyer logs eight hours of work a day ends up only getting paid 1.4 of those hours.
2: Yeah, average journey is in the, uh, let me clarify it, in the office eight hours a day, bills four hours a day, and then collects 1.4 hours per
1: day. What are they doing those other four hours?
2: I think what it is, when they comb through this data, that's a lot of admin, right? So they're doing a lot of admin. If you're a solo, you're also meeting with clients. And you almost never charge clients for the initial consultations. You're just eating that time. So there's that. There's all the admin. There's working with your assistant. There's doing all of these things. And about 26% of any lawyer's day is spent going between tasks, right? So if going from email to the phone to talking to your legal assistant to going to the bathroom. About 26% of your day is just gone in transition time. So there's that in there as well. So, that the 1.4 hours was in 2016. Lawyers did slightly better in 2018. It was 1.6 hours per day.
1: Wow, what a jump! That's (laughs) amazing. Exactly. Well, I spend a lot of time in, in law firms and helping lawyers, and I know that a lot of time is wasted seeking and searching for information or documents inefficiently working on documents like duping and revising rather than starting from a template or using document automation. So there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. And I know that that's obviously a very strong place where technology can come in helpful. And maybe that tiny jump in that number is is thanks to technology is what I'm going to hope. What about LegalZoom and its study?
2: So LegalZoom is, this is a 2015 survey. So we get survey data from LegalZoom we actually get behavior data mm. from Clio. And the behavior data is great because survey data is, is kind of like uh, how many times a week do you work out? And you say five and really you just go on yeah. a walk once a week. Oh,
1: that's like yeah. when I get that awful question of how many drinks do you have a week?
2: <laughs> that's yeah, Exactly. One you're you're just you're just making it up to so you can look good. Right. <laughs> so the, this is legal zoom data, and this is meant to look good, and it's still abysmal. So what they found is solos account for about fifty six percent of attorneys in America. Uh-huh. That's Their true. revenues per attorney. $78,000. Their profit per attorney is $63,000.
1: Oh, it's amazing. And everyone thinks lawyers make so much money. And here, when you actually look at the numbers, it's, it's. I hate to keep using the word dismal, but it's dismal.
2: It is really bad. When, it, when I saw these numbers, because I, I got these numbers at the Clio conference, I think in 2015, when the CEO of, of LegalZoom came to talk to us, I was absolutely amazed by this. And that's when I realized that this was a really rampant problem.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I don't even know if it's a rampant problem as much as it is just normal. Right? Like, it's yeah. sad that that is a normal. And I love the CEO of LegalZoom. That guy has so much interesting information. He gives such compelling talks. Um,
2: it was one of the best legal talks I'd ever seen. Yeah, was, for was sure. Yeah. And he and he, and he entered the lion's den to give that talk to us, and he was fantastic.
1: Yeah, he did. I had him at a at tech show, and we had him in Florida a couple times giving talks. And the guy's—he's got some balls to be able to even walk into some of these rooms where, you know, he just is basically— you know, like the bull and we're all the matadors, but he was, he's great. The guy's really very interesting and I love their general counsel, Chaz, as well. They're always out there educating and helping lawyers. I mean, it, it really, the information is really helpful. So you have some other very interesting numbers that I want you to share with us in your talk about helping lawyers get paid better. And then we'll actually talk about some of the commandments that you, as you call them, in helping lawyers to increase the right numbers and decrease the right numbers.
2: Sure. So the rest of the data has to do with The time it takes lawyers to get paid, and we're going to go through and talk through this a a bit more because there's at least one commandment that's specific about this. But it takes the average lawyer 87 days from the time they work on something until they actually bill for it and then send it out to their clients. It's almost three months, right? And then it takes on average 83 days to get paid on the invoice, which is a turnaround time of 170 days, almost six months from the time you work on something until the time you get paid. And the other data, I give it as part of this talk a little bit, but once you get past about 60 days on an invoice, your likelihood of getting paid on the invoice goes down to, I think, somewhere around 25%.
1: Right, that's a decreasing number we want to increase. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's true, if you think about ourselves... When we, let's say, we hire someone to paint our houses or just a contractor, you know, if they're not standing there with their hands out for you to pay them when the job is done and they say, oh, I'll send you an invoice, and then, you know, the invoice comes via email three weeks later because they finally got around to it, you're not in a hurry to pay it either. I mean, I I just feel like this is a, a very typical problem that consumers and businesses have, and then here we are you know lawyers who are providing a critical service giving critical information hopefully changing lives and saving lives and it's taking you 170 days to get paid there's got to be a way to make things better
2: there is a better way
1: all right well before we start talking about the, all those commandments which i love that idea how many are there eight so there are, it's yes. marco brown's eight commandments for getting paid lots of money quick we'll talk about right after we finish hearing a couple messages from some sponsors Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free, and then get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up with the code NEWSOLO10. That's NEWSOLO10, and do that at Clio.com, C-L-I-O.com. LawClerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Signing up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code NEWSOLO to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. All right, and we're back with Marco Brown, who's an attorney in Salt Lake City, Utah, it does divorces and divorces only. But, like a lot of us out there, really enjoy helping lawyers do things better. And we've been talking so far about the dismal reporting of how little attorneys actually get paid for their time worked. But Marco's gonna save the day and has eight commandments to help us do a better job. And I think these are probably tips that any of us could use including myself as a consultant who sends bills to lawyers I have I'm I have a feeling that 170 days is probably about the average for a lot of legal technology consultants too so marco what's commandment number 1
2: so commandment number 1 is you need to change your mindset about getting paid and the first people we learn from as attorneys about being a lawyer are our law professors our law professors bless their souls Tell us God to do them. stuff like, yeah. Tell Never us to spent do stuff a day in the like, law office. <laughs> no, they didn't. They're bureaucrats, right? They, they're, they're paid by the state or by a private institution, but essentially they're bureaucrats and teachers. And they tell us to do things like do good. I don't even know what that means.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's out there telling you to do bad?
2: <laughs> it, it, it's, it, anyway, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Then the right. second group, once we become attorneys, is the bar. And I don't know any bar in the United States that really looks out for their attorneys and tries to get them paid more. What they do is they tell us, look, you need to do pro bono work all the time. So give away your stuff for free. So these are the two groups that really tell us how to think about being an attorney and about how to get paid. Well, they're totally wrong. They don't have to kill stuff and, you know, take it home and eat it and pay mortgages by trying to sell. So they don't know what they're talking about. And... Your number one job as an attorney is to get paid. Your number two job as an attorney is to do exceptionally good work for your clients. You getting paid less than 100% for the work you do is actually unethical because you have a contract with them and that is I'm gonna do excellent work and you're going to pay me 100%. Now, if you don't do excellent work as an attorney, then you need to go to lawyer jail because you're not very good at your job. (laughs) But let's assume that you are doing this amazing work. Then they need to pay you 100%. It's no different than if your client came up to you and just started taking $100 bills out of your pocket. You would never allow that sort of thing to happen. Doing that, allowing them to do that is unethical. But that's what lawyers allow their clients to do every day when
1: they don't get paid. Do you think lawyers, and especially young lawyers, maybe young lawyers that are just coming out of law school and decide to hang their own shingle, as many of them do, do you think there's some sort of weird guilt or weird feelings associated with sending out an invoice and asking for the money? I mean, I feel like even I have that problem sometimes 20 years later. In, in billing my own clients where sometimes I'm like, oh, I feel so bad sending this bill. They were so great to work with. It really wasn't that much work. It sure was easy. And, you know, do you ever see that or hear that from them?
2: Yeah, I do hear that from them. And, you know, good for them for being human beings and caring about other human beings. Yeah. But really you need to, you need to think it. about it. It's unethical not, not to get paid. So you need to understand that you've done the work And now you need to get paid because you need to pay all of these other people for the work they've done. You need to pay your paralegal and you need to pay the person who answers the phones. And if you don't get paid, then they aren't getting paid what they're worth. And that's not okay.
1: And so when you say that it's unethical, um, you know, of course, every time we use the word ethics and ethical and legal, we all get up in arms. It's not ethical. So when you're talking that way, you're really meaning about just Getting paid for the work that you agreed to get paid for and then being able to pay your own bills and your own staff. It's really, I'm not even really sure what I'm trying to ask you, but is that what you're trying to say when you say it's not ethical for you not to get paid? You're supposed to get paid.
2: The way I think about this is we do use the word ethics a lot as attorneys and it's, if you are unethical, you will get disbarred, right? I want mm-hmm. to convey to attorneys that this is you changing your mindset about money is just as important as you doing anything else as an attorney and keeping your ethics. This is just as important as all of those other things that we don't violate.
1: Great, I like it. Commandment number two.
2: Commandment number two is bill regularly, at least once a month. So we see, again, going back to the data that that doesn't happen. The average is 87 days just to get an invoice out the door. And that's absolutely unsustainable. You can't do that sort of thing. So you need to have systems in place where you're sending out bills at least once a month. I have a friend, she bills every week and gets paid every Monday
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that I I tried that once. I tried it for about a month and everybody threatened to quit. So we don't do that. You know, we do once (laughs) a month. So that doesn't work for me, but it worked for her and everybody mm-hmm. needs to kind of find that. But the longest you can go without sending out a bill is one month.
1: No, I agree with you. And again, for any business, but, but really for lawyers, you have to send out your bills at the end of the month or mid month. I would love to see lawyers sending out bills twice a month. Every week might be a little too much. Like you said, it might not work for everybody, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with trying different billing processes and systems until you find one that works for you. But at a minimum, I totally agree with you, Marco. It's got to be at least once a month.
2: Yeah. And the the way I do it is I do it on the first. So I wake up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. on the first of every month and I do all of the billing and then I'm done with it. So it's all done by the time I get in the office and I ever, ever have to think about it again. Because if I don't do it at that point, then... I know it's going to be the fifth of the month or the seventh of the month, and I will have not done it.
1: How big is your law firm?
2: We have five attorneys.
1: You do all the billing?
2: I don't do, I put together the billing. I review the bills. Mm -hmm. And then I have an office manager who actually sends them out and collects on them.
1: So when you say I get up at four o'clock in the morning, bills are ready for the office manager to get them out the door. How are you doing that? What's your system?
2: So I use Clio.
1: Okay, great. Technology.
2: Yeah, I go through every one of the bills and I review it just to make sure that everything's in place. And when that is done, I send a Slack. We use Slack to communicate within the law firm. So I send a Slack to my office manager and say, billing's ready, let's get it done. And then she does it that day or the day after.
1: Excellent. Commandment number
2: three. Is don't chase money. So money Mm. is a really powerful motivator. The promise of money is also a really powerful deluder. So (laughs) the the idea of chasing money is the idea that you do things that you wouldn't normally do as an attorney to get paid. So example of this are helping people in different case types that you don't normally do. So I do divorce. I'm not going to take a PI case. But Mm. I sometimes think about that and I think, well, how hard can it be? These guys over here are doing it. I can do this sort of thing. But then I think to myself, no, no, I'm just chasing money. Like I'm I'm thinking about the payday and I don't know anything about this. So that's an example. Discounting your hourly rate or your retainer to get a client. Mm. uh, Helping a friend of a friend do something. None of this stuff ever works out well. And then we're all amazed when it doesn't work out well. So all of these things are examples of chasing money.
1: I have two comments and or suggestions, and you can help me either support them or say, that's a terrible idea, Adriana. Obviously, a lot of lawyers, especially maybe younger lawyers and new lawyers, don't have a specialization yet. So they have a general practice. And then When they come in to see me, whether it's in my capacity as a member benefit at the San Diego County Bar or just an attorney who's called me to get some help with their practice management and technology, and I ask them what kind of law do they practice. Let's say they give me three different areas, uh, family law, personal injury, and real estate or wills. I say, okay, well, which one is your most profitable? They don't know. They can't tell me. So my suggestion is if you do have that type of practice, using a product like Clio or one of its very good competitors, you're able to log what kind of matter you're working on. And then if you track your time, even if you do flat or contingency, I still, and and look, we all hate tracking time. I've never met a lawyer that's like, oh, favorite part of my job is, you know, billing in six minute increments. Woo, it's what I live for. Nobody says that. But you still should have an idea of how long a case lives from cradle to grave. Then at the end of the year, if you're using these technologies, systems and programs and statistics and dashboards and analytics, you'll be able to look at your your practice and say, wow, well, the most profitable area, the practice area that I made the most money on this year was X. And then you can make decisions about whether to change your practice, focus on your practice, or like Marco suggests, maybe don't take on certain types of cases whether it's because they might seem like a, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or because you once thought that they were and it turns out that they're really not.
2: Oh, I think you're exactly right. We need to track all of these things. Even if you do flat fees, I don't know about other parts of the United States, but even if you do flat fees, you need to track your time because if you have to give what we call a Rule 73 affidavit for attorney's fees, You have to lay all of that out. But beyond that, you really need to track it so you can figure out where the problems are and where the opportunities are in your law firm. If you know you're taking too much time doing mediations or whatever else, you need to be able to look at the data and figure that out.
1: Right. Or maybe you can figure out how to either outsource, offset, or hand off some of those parts of a a matter or a case where your time is better spent elsewhere. And it's, it's a lot of it, I think, is the e-myth, right? So the e-myth means um, a lot of people think it's something about electronics, but it's not. It's the entrepreneurial myth, which is if you're spending more time in the business, you can't be working on the business. So you really have to think about where you, as, as the CEO of your company, of your law firm, is spending your money, and your time and tracking all that stuff through programs like Clio and um, practice management programs can really help you get a good look at that. I like commandment number four, the banana stand commandment.
2: <laughs> I do I do like this one. That, so that's from Arrested Development, if, people don't,
1: if oh. people don't know that.
2: The commandment is always have money and trust. And there was this great joke on Arrested Development, I'm totally going to mess it up now, where the dad who was in a federal penitentiary would always tell the son there's always money in the banana stand and no one knew what that meant. And then I think (laughs) in season two or three, the son gets upset and burns down the family banana stand. And dad says, you're a moron. There was $250,000 in the banana stand. (laughs) So it's, it's this idea that don't burn your house down and go to zero, have money in trust always in trust because relationships change when your clients go below zero dollars, when they owe you money, then the relationships change. You don't, you are no longer an attorney at that point. You are a banker and everyone hates their banker.
1: Yes. We all hate our bankers.
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) no no one, no one thinks, Oh, I want to take Bob the banker out for lunch. No (laughs) one says stuff like that. So the relationships really do change. So you have to have money in the trust in order for it not to get down to zero or below zero. And the vast majority of attorneys, what they do is they take that retainer, they get two or three thousand dollars, and then they let it go below, and they and then somebody owes them two or three thousand dollars, and then they want to get back up to zero. So they're Mm -hmm. always at zero or in the negative. You have to you have to change that. You got to get two, three, four, five thousand dollars, however much it is, above that and keep it at that at that rate. It's called an evergreen trust.
1: And um, I want to also just, again, a, another tip when you're using practice management programs, when you take in that retainer money, you can put a reminder in there that says, hey, when this retainer amount drops below $800, let us know. Like, And by us, I mean, whether it's you, the solo, or whoever is helping you support your practice so that you can send out that retainer request and, and keep it evergreen.
2: Exactly. That's a fantastic way to do it. You have to have systems for these things. And that's one of the systems. One one thing I, I did want to talk about here is that this is counterintuitive, but when you let people go into the negative, you're going to get more bad Google reviews and Google reviews are ultra, ultra important nowadays, but you're going to get more bad Google reviews because that relationship has changed and they don't like you nearly as much anymore. When you get one-star Google reviews, is when you somebody owes you two or three thousand dollars, and you keep going on their case, and you get it done, and you've got them a great result, but they still owe you two, three 4000 bucks at the end, and you have to come after them. That's yeah. when you get a one-star Google review. If you tell them, "I'm not doing any work on your case until you get me the trust, and then I'm going to do really excellent work," that's when you get five-star Google reviews.
1: Excellent. Well, before we cover the last four commandments, let's take another quick break and listen to some messages from our sponsors. Courtfiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that work sometimes happens after hours, courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit them at courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24/7 to schedule appointments, qualified leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Okay, we're back. We've got four more of Marco Brown's commandments to getting paid left. What's number five?
2: Number five is related to number four. If your client doesn't pay you or you don't have money in trust, stop work Stop now, stop right now.
1: That's mean, Marco.
2: It it, it is mean. It's <laughs> terribly mean. No. I like to think of it as compassionate because it it really is insurance for everybody involved. But really, if people don't pay, then don't do the work. Get get paid So there's a guy named Lee Rose and he talks about this. He Mm -hmm. he says, get paid like a casino boss. A casino (laughs) boss will literally do anything legal or illegal for you until you don't have any more money. So, you know, get paid. Now to do this, though, you really have to have clear triggers for stopping work. And the way we do it in our law office is on the 20th of the month, we run credit cards. So everybody has credit card authorizations. And we run the credit card authorization. If that doesn't go through, if they don't replenish, then that is a clear trigger that we stop work. Our office manager gets, the, the, you know, gets declined and she sends out slacks to everybody involved saying stop work on the case until we get paid. So you have to have systems in place and you have to have clear triggers in place to make this function.
1: And I'm going to guess you must have some very polite but stern language that you send either via email, snail mail, or over the phone saying, we'd love to keep working on your case. We're so sorry your card was declined. Surely there's a problem with your bank. Please let us know as soon as this problem has been rectified and we will happily keep working on your case.
2: Exactly. So we do it by email. We send that out. And what we found is that about probably half to three quarters of the time, the credit card has been expired sure. in the last yeah. month. So they, they just call in and give us a new credit card. We very rarely ever get beyond about 48 hours when, we, when a credit card gets declined. So there's really not much downtime in this. Everybody kind of thinks that, oh, well, if the credit card gets declined, they're out of money. No, they're not. They just go find other money and then they pay you. When, you. when you force people to pay you, they pay you.
1: They find the money.
2: Yeah, they exactly. go chasing the money. Yeah, instead of you chasing the money. Exactly. Great.
1: Good tips. Okay, number six is one of my favorites because I su- suggest this to lawyers all the time. You can't be a door law lawyer.
2: Yep, you got to specialize. So, what I mean by specialize is you do one thing and you do it exceptionally well. Now, this doesn't always hold. If you're you know, an hour outside of Fargo, North Dakota, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even sure North Dakota exists as a state, I'm, I'm not convinced of this. There's
1: only like eight lawyers there, and they're all really busy.
2: <laughs> so if you're there, you can't do that sort of thing. But right. what you need to do is you need to choose two things you can do, maybe, maybe three things, but I wouldn't suggest it, I would suggest two things. If you're in a city, though, or a place of substantial population, then you need to do one thing. And the reason for this is specialists get paid more money. And we know this is true because we can look at doctors. So a general mm-hmm. practice doctor in America makes about $150,000 a year. A general surgeon who's a mid-level specialist probably makes four to $500,000 a year. Yeah. You get the guy that's the brain surgeon that only works on one particular thing. He or she is getting paid... Nine hundred thousand, a million dollars. Yeah. Specialists get paid more money, so you're going to do less work and make more money if you specialize.
1: I love it. Have you ever fired a client? I have a feeling I know the answer to this question.
2: Uh, I fired a client. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just today.
2: <laughs> no, not today.
1: No. <laughs> so, rule number seven, which I think is another funny quirk that lawyers have, is lawyers sometimes don't realize they they can be the ones firing the client instead of the client firing them. So your suggestion is fire your worst client, like right now.
2: Right now, today. So when I say the words, fire your worst client, there's a face that comes up in your mind. Yes. <laughs> that person is your worst client. That is the person that you despise as a client because They're mean to you. They don't pay their bill. They're bad to your your legal assistant, whatever it is. You have that person fire that person today. They are a time suck in your law firm and you aren't getting paid. So just get rid of them. And the reason for this is it opens up your ability to focus on people who do pay you and to acquire other clients who do pay you and treat you with respect.
1: And I think, you know, whenever we talk about firing clients, I think about my friend Ernie Svensson, Ernie the attorney, he's well known out there. We were walking through the French Quarter one day and it must have been a carnival or, or something, but this guy was walking toward us, a whole group of us were out and there was a guy walking toward us in a king costume, you know, big purple fuzzy crown, purple fuzzy cape and Ernie stopped to say hi to him and the guy was very funny and super nice and As the guy walked away, Ernie said, Oh yeah, I used to work with that guy, I had to fire him. And I it was a long time ago when I didn't really think a lot about attorneys firing their clients. I said, Why? Why did you fire him? He said, Wouldn't listen to a thing I said, didn't do one single thing I told him to do. Who wants that kind of client? So aside from just clients that don't pay you, as you just said, Marco, I think clients that don't respect you, that even though they are paying you or giving you a hard time and causing you stress, and every time the phone rings, you just look at it and your eyes roll. Man, being a lawyer is stressful enough as it is. All these other things you've got to deal with. I think being comfortable with firing clients in in the right way is also just critical to having a successful law practice. So I think that's a great tip, even when it doesn't come down just to the money, but just to your sanity.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a mental health issue. I've talked with, with psychologists about this, and it really is a mental health issue. He, your stress, the majority of your stress in your job is caused by a very limited number of clients. It's called the Pareto Principle. So the, a minority of inputs uh, equals a majority of outputs. So probably 10 to 20% of your clients are creating probably 90% of your stress. Yeah. So get rid of them live a better life.
1: And you know, I think too, go with your gut before you even take them on. Because how many times have you said, I knew I should have never taken that client on. But you do it anyway, and maybe you're chasing the money, or you know maybe business was slow that that week, that month. But really go with your gut. It's probably usually right, and you'll save yourself a lot. I, do, I happen to do this a lot with lawyers and law firms. I can tell on the phone if they're gonna be a pain in my ass to help. And I love working with my clients. I work all the time, text me, call me, I'm here. But man, when it gets a little too much, I won't even take them from the beginning. I will literally suggest them to my least favorite legal technology consulting companies. <laughs> I'll go, you know, I don't think I'm the right fit for you. Why don't you call so-and-so?
2: <laughs> yeah, your gut is, your instinct, your gut, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is always right. Always I would go right. with it 100% of the time, because even if it's wrong, it's still only going to be wrong 5% of the time. So you're going to save yourself so much by following your gut.
1: I love it. Okay. Rule number eight kind of falls back into this mental health, really taking care of yourself. And I love rule number eight.
2: Yeah. Make you, your family, and your team your first priority. Clients come second. The idea that we hear all the time is the client is always right. And the kind of sub-idea is that you should do whatever for the client and put them first. Well, no, that's completely wrong. You put yourself and your family and your team first. If you can't remember the last time you had a vacation, a real vacation with your family, or did real stuff with your family, or went on a date with your husband or wife, or whatever, then you have a real problem when you're putting your clients first. When you put your client when you put yourself first and your family first and your team, Then things are going to work out. You're going to work the number of hours. You should you're going to pay your people and yourself The amounts they should be paid Uh, Everybody's going to be much much happier when you put the clients first and do whatever they say and don't get paid and get overworked then everybody's miserable and You're the cause of it, right? So don't be the cause of that put yourself first.
1: You know, I think that's such great advice, and especially for new and young lawyers. And I was just reflecting on my many years of working with lawyers and law firms. And I have to say that I feel like most of the time, that is what I see in practice. Lawyers are so protective of their partners and their associates and their staff. And I love that. So when a client is Screaming and him and hawing and hon and and a secretary is upset or a, an associate has been embarrassed by a client. I gotta say, I love the way attorneys defend that work family, and um, of course, that's probably gonna transfer through to their personal life. But I, I love that, and that's one of the reasons that I I love working with lawyers and law firms is that we are it's a fiercely protective and family environment. Also, on occasion, though, there is that that crudgety old mean attorney. And if you work for him or her, guys, go out on your own. You don't need that kind of stress either. (laughs) Well, this has been great, Marco. What else, what other couple last tips, suggestions, what are frequently asked questions that you get from lawyers or law students when when you talk about these things? Like, what's the most frequently asked question after you give this talk? I think
2: the question I get asked the most is, how can I determine what my retainer should be.
1: Oh, good one.
2: And the way I think about this is in an ideal world, you want a retainer that is equivalent to your worst possible month in a case, Mm. right? So for us, that would be a protective order and a temporary restraining order and some other hearing in a month, right? So that is going to come up to probably seven to $8,000 of work in a month. So ideally, you would want seven or eight thousand dollars in the retainer. That's a little rich, though. So the way I think about it is back that down to like the ninety-fifth percentile because that's going to back a lot of money off. So think about your like ninety-five percent of your worst month, and that's going to get you in a range where your retainer is one doable and then two going to protect you.
1: I love that. And that Very and that's
2: this is why you need data. Right. You need to be able to look at your cases and say, "Okay, so my my worst month is like this. And then my 95th percentile month is like this. And that's why Clio and all of these other things are so helpful, because you can just go pick cases and go look at those things and determine that that data. If you don't have it, you're just guessing and, you know, guessing ain't good.
1: It's not. And I just want to remind everyone, too that data, those statistics, that dashboard that you have in practice management programs is only as good as the information you put into it. And if you're a four-person firm and you've got one or two of you that are really diligent and good about logging time, putting information in, and then two of you aren't, then your data is only half that good. So another thing I would really encourage everyone to do is put these systems in place, put these processes in place, and, and train and push because you've got, you're running a business here. We can't have willy-nilly the wild, wild west of, of data management. Everybody's got to be committed and contribute to that data pile equally so that you can get really good statistics and information at the end of the year and decide how to change for the next year and grow your firm. Marco? Marco? It's been really nice having you on New Solo today. Thanks so much for coming on. Will you tell everyone how they can find, friend, or follow you if they want to ask you any follow-up questions or just keep an eye on what you're doing?
2: Sure. Uh, Everybody can email me if they want to. It's marco at utdivorceattorney.com. I don't have a telephone in my office, so that's not the the way to get a hold of me.
1: Good. I like that. Which
2: is a story in and of itself.
1: Yes. I was just thinking, huh, no phone in the office.
2: That's one of the ways I keep my sanity. We switched over to Vonage a few years ago and I told my office manager that I no longer wanted a phone in my office and she got mad. But it's been great. It's absolutely fantastic.
1: Do you have your clients use the Clio portal a lot as a way of communicating with you all?
2: you know we never have i've never really looked into it that much because we just kind of do the old system where the office manager just sends them all mm-hmm. of the all of the documents i should probably yeah. look into that a little more
1: yeah no i think uh, sure and let us know how it goes you can come back and say hey we've been using portals and our these numbers went up and these numbers went down and and it's better around here
2: yeah absolutely so if you want to reach me on social uh, on twitter it's brownlaw llc I think it's Brown Law LLC on Facebook as well. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can get me any of those ways as well.
1: That's great. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out and sharing your knowledge and your information and really caring about the legal community the way you do, because you don't make money off of these talks. You just, um, you're a good guy. You're doing good, like your law prof told you.
2: I, there, there's a little bit of that, yeah. But yeah. I can do good because I get paid 100% for what I do.
1: I love it. That's great. Well, I very much appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners too. All right, everyone. Looks like we've reached the end of another great episode of New Solo. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard today, we'd really love for you to subscribe, rate us, and give us a review on iTunes. We'll see you next time. And remember, you're not alone. You're new solo.